This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, this morning uh, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 4. It's where the scripture reading is this morning. Uh, fourth chapter of Matthew. If you would turn with me there. The verses um, 12 through 17. Matthew 4 verse 12. And when you find it, would you stand? Verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. For that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heavenly Father, we come again before you this morning. Lord, again asking for your enablement. Lord, as we consider the verses before us, Lord, we pray, grant illumination. Open your truth up to us uh, so that we see and hear and so that it sinks deep into our very being. We want to be changed by your word. We want to conform not to this world, but to the image of Christ, transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want to be clean, Lord, by the washing of the water of Your Word. So we look to You and pray, Lord, uh, for enablement. I ask that You enable me to speak the message You would have delivered, Lord, for the edification of Your people, for the salvation of those who may not know You, and ultimately for Your glory in all these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Boy, what a more appropriate song. Uh, or what could have been more appropriate. Uh, I'm going to talk to you this morning about a great light. Um, and thanks, Zach. That was good. Good job. <laughs> Appreciate you. Good and right on time. All right. And we are picking up in verse uh, 12 this morning. And, uh, of course, last week we talked about the uh, the temptations in the wilderness. And now uh, we are into uh, Jesus' ministry. Now, there's actually a portion uh, left out here. The, uh, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, don't really give us uh, anything on the first year of Jesus' ministry. That's why it's often referred to as the year of obscurity. <laughs> but John does uh, in, uh, in John chapters 1 through 4. Uh, so, we're kind of... Jumping ahead a little bit here, after Jesus has already begun His ministry and now returns to Nazareth, returns to Galilee and winds up, in fact, you see in verse 15, living in Capernaum, moves from Nazareth to Capernaum, dwells in Galilee. As Matthew notes here, John the Baptist at this point has been imprisoned. And again, uh, we'll get to more on that later, because uh, Matthew talks about that over in chapter 14. 
But uh, John is, is in prison. Uh, according to jo- Josephus, part of the problem was the, the political threat that he was thought to have posed. Now, he wasn't uh, seeking political office, and neither was Jesus. But, but uh, nevertheless, just like we saw with Herod, because they did generate a following, they were considered a political threat. And also, we know from the Bible that he was definitely uh, uh, in prison for, uh, for his uh, boldness in pointing out that um, Herod was wrong to have his brother Philip's wife. And consequently, um, he was, John the Baptist was beheaded. So now, this, this is where we're at as far as point in history. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison... He departed to Galilee, or withdrew to Galilee. Um, there's a a formula here which I'm not going to go too much into. I just want to mention it because it is it does have some significance. Obviously, Matthew uses it over and over and over here with this word uh, withdrew, and the formula is this: you have a threat of hostility. And then a withdrawal, and then a fulfillment of prophecy. And that plays out uh, some seven times in the book of Matthew. Uh, usually Jesus, but not always. One, for example, is Joseph, which we already read about because of the threat. Joseph withdraws to Egypt until uh, the threat is gone, and he's instructed to come back and and, uh, and then the prophecy is fulfilled, Matthew 2.15, Out of Egypt I have called my son. So this, this word withdrawal is, is uh, used repeatedly uh, that way. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus feared. Now, I, I would say, you say, well, it looks like he withdrew or uh, uh, as it says here, um, Departed. I'm sorry. I had to rethink again what the word the New King James was using here. Um, it says here, departed. Some translations say withdraw. You say, well, it looks like he departed and went to Galilee or withdrew to Galilee um, out, of, out of fear because John had been put in prison and he was probably fearing the same kind of uh, the treatment. Well, I would say it's probably true that he, that was part of the reason, not fear, but just because he was escaping for the moment Persecution. Jesus never feared it, but uh, it wasn't time yet. And time would come when he would be arrested and persecuted. And uh, when we get there, you'll see that there was no fear <laughs> whatsoever on the part of Jesus. Uh, he, he did not fear. But he does leave here, apparently because John is in prison, go to Galilee, and then winds up dwelling in Capernaum. And it's also because of the need for fulfillment of prophecy. Now, this is what we're really going to focus in on today. Um, This coming uh, to Galilee and to the Gentiles of a great light. So, John the Baptist is now in prison, and the ministry of Jesus becomes more prominent. Okay? Um, In fact, I had a... Well, I'll just quote Spurgeon here. Spurgeon puts it this way. Now, he's he's talking about John the Baptist and uh, John the Baptist's ministry ending and Jesus' ministry coming to light, so to speak, becoming more prominent. Spurgeon says this, As the morning star is hidden, the sun shines out the more brightly. So, John the Baptist, as the morning star came to announce uh, the daybreak, so to speak, he came to announce the arrival of the Messiah, now fades. And the sun shines more brightly. That is, Jesus uh, the identity of Jesus, uh, the ministry of Jesus uh, becomes more 
into focus here. It becomes more prominent. Verse 12 again. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in, in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and of Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken. And notice, uh, this is another formula that, that Matthew uses repeatedly. Verse 14, that it might be fulfilled. Because, as we mentioned earlier, Matthew's uh, purpose here is primarily writing to Jews. He's, he's writing to convince the Jews that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah. So he shows again and again and again how Jesus has fulfilled prophecy. Well, what prophecy did he fulfill here and how did he do it? Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and I left out the first part, but this is spoken by Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, specifically Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, there you've got that idea again of the dawning. And by the way, I was just thinking about Spurgeon's quote there, the, the morning star uh, fading, uh, or as he says, uh, as the morning star is hidden, the sun shines out the more. Right, right now, this time of the year is a great time to uh, to witness that because every morning when I when I'm on my way to town, I see the uh, the morning star, which I believe is actually a planet. It's, it's Venus, is that correct? It's it's actually Venus, but th- that thing is bright. It is bright, especially when you're out in the countryside where there's no lights. Right now, you know, we're just in that time of year where it is really really bright. So if you want to see that illustration play out, get up at about four in the morning. And, and watch, watch as the, you know, look off to the east or the east-southeast and you'll see, uh, Venus shining bright. Uh, seriously, uh, it, it looks like a, a jet or, you know, a passenger plane or something coming. That's how, it's, it's fairly close. I mean, that's how bright it is. And then you'll, you'll see as that fades and the sun, uh, takes over. <laughs> Unless, of course, there's a lot of fog or clouds or something like that. Um, but at any rate, uh, now Jesus uh, takes the stage, so to speak. John's ministry is fulfilled. He has come to do what he is called to do, to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And now, uh, as we said earlier on, Jesus is always the main character here. Now we're, we're going to really see that. He, he begins uh, his his. Ministry. So here again is the prophecy from Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, as quoted by Matthew. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat, who sat in darkness have seen a great light. So there's a promise of light for those who sit in darkness. And, and this is, this concept's repeated in the Old Testament. It's not just Isaiah 9. There are other passages. One of my favorites is Isaiah 60, uh, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There's this repeated promise of light. Contrast between light and darkness. And how the light penetrates takes over, replaces the darkness. It's interesting, isn't it? What was the very first thing created by God? Light. Light. Presumably, everything was what? Dark. Just a void without form and void and dark. So on the first day of creation... God speaks and says, literally, light be. That is, come into being. He speaks light into being. 
And what happens when the light comes into being? The darkness is dispelled. The two don't don't mix, and that's that's another theme. Uh, you know, we we find in other places in the scripture, light and darkness don't mix. Light replaces the dark. In fact, how would you define darkness? The absence of light. But at the beginning of creation, God speaks and says, "Light be." Now, from then on. The rest of, of creation, the other five days, in fact, we can go beyond that. We can say right up to our very own day. In anything that we see of creation is seen by means of the light. Without the light, there's no proper view of anything else in existence. Well, there's a whole list of things that God goes on to create in Genesis 1. But to, uh, to behold it, to enjoy the beauty of any of those things, there must be light. All of God's creation, or you could say it this way, the glory of God seen in creation is only observed through or by means of Light. The light is necessary in order to properly see. And throughout the scripture, darkness is used as a as a type of um, sin, wickedness, right, and the, all the the bondage that comes with all that. And so, light in a spiritual sense, is promised because the people are in darkness. In fact, again, Isaiah 60 says the darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness. And if you've ever been in a place where it's just pitch black, you kind of understand why the writer writes that way, don't you? It's like it has a a thickness to it. And that's, that's, that's a great description for spiritual darkness, because spiritual darkness has a, a thickness to it, has a heaviness to it. It's, it's deep. And so the Lord promises light. Light. Here specifically to Galilee of the Gentiles. In Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, speaking to a, a people who have been oppressed, defeated uh, militarily. And God promises light. The people who sat in in darkness have seen a great light. A great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Well, Matthew is saying, the coming of Christ to Galilee fulfills this prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah said to Galilee, a great light is going to be manifest in your region. And Matthew is saying, Jesus withdrew to Galilee, and in doing so, He's fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. So that the people there who sat in darkness have now seen a great light. Now, I don't think all the lights were out in Galilee. <laughs> so he's, he's using this, in the same sense that Isaiah is using this, he's, he's using this in, in a reference to their spiritual state of being. In other words, what does he mean by they sat in darkness? What does he mean by a great light? Well, he, he's using those terms, light and darkness, to refer to spiritual realities. Spiritual States of being, and he's promising deliverance from a state of darkness by means of and to light. Light. Now, I want to consider a few things here. Um, characteristics of light. 
we already mentioned one, just, just speaking of light in general, is the first created thing, right? The first created thing. And light illuminates and it exposes. Now, you say, what's the difference in illumination and exposes? <clears throat> I don't think there is, uh, technically speaking. But I'm using them in different ways here uh, just, just, to, uh, just to highlight a distinction. Because I think usually when we think about illumination, um, we, we think of that in a, in a positive sense. Like you, you come in here and you flip the light switch and uh, the, the, the filaments, you know, they do, do their thing and, and uh, the room is illuminated. The darkness is dispelled. And so it's, it's kind of a, uh, of a uh, revealing or making known. In other words, if you, if you had never been in this room before and it was totally black and you hit the lights, now you know where everything is. Or if, we hadn't, if nobody had cleaned in here in about three or four years, and uh, you might be fine sitting around as long as it's dark, <laughs> but you turn the lights on, and uh, you know Revelation, you, you see dirt everywhere. So I'm I'm using illumination in the sense of revealing a a good thing or making something known. The shining of the light, where usually when we use the word expose, we're talking about something bad being quote brought to light, right? Uh, are revealed, maybe maybe bad uh, characteristics like bad habits or something of that nature, or maybe maybe we're thinking about bad conduct like a crime. You shine the light on something, expose, expose. You make something known that is wrong, and light does both of those things. Are you know, you could say, uh, if, if you want to make them the same, then, then you say, well, at least this, that's two, that's two sides of the same coin. Light illuminates and exposes. It, it, it makes the good known for our benefit. That is, it shows us things we didn't see before. It illuminates. And it exposes the bad. So, for example, now, think, think of this in regard to Jesus, this, this illumination, this uh, uh, making known or making manifest. For example, if you go to John 1, John says the Word, talking about Jesus, in whom was light, by the way. We'll probably come back to that in a few minutes. But the Word, he says, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to say that no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, that is Jesus, has explained Him. He's, he's made Him known. Now, God, and I was talking with Jordan about this last night, the, the eternality of God. God has always been. And there's at least one sense in which you could say, He's, he's not hidden. <laughs> God's, God's there. He's always been there. It's just that we've been blind. And this illumination that Jesus brings shows us God. Right? In fact, let's, let's go ahead and go to John 1 for a moment. This is what John, uh, Jesus rather is doing in Galilee. This is what Jesus did throughout all of His life and ministry. This is what Jesus is still doing today. Bringing to light for us God and the things of God. He is making God known to us. Through illumination, spiritually speaking. So, for example, um, that's why we sing songs like, I saw the light, right? We're saying, 
I, I can see now. I saw the light, and now things are plain. Look at John one uh, one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That's the Word. That's Jesus. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's a fascinating statement. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. It's the same word we're seeing over in Matthew, phos, or uh, sometimes photos is where we get our word photo, uh, or phosphorus. Um, verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness. Now, that's what we mean by, what I mean by illumination. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. When the light shines, the darkness is dispelled. The light shines in the darkness. It illuminates. It shines in the darkness. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. Now, we already said in Scripture uh, the terms darkness and light are used to describe spiritual state, spiritual states. Darkness representing unbelief or lostness. And light representing um, belief. This man, John, came to bear, to, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. So the, the illumination we're talking about specifically in Christ is bringing someone to belief. He's making known the things of God. Making known God. Verse 8, he was not that light, that is, John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Or, the true light, which coming into the world, gives light to every man. Now, let me, let me say this too. Um, Not hopefully not to be confusing here, but there's also a sense in which the light shines, as John says here, on every man, and yet not every man, meaning every single person, yet not every single person is illuminated. There's a sense in which the light shines on everybody, but does not provide illumination for everybody. Not because there's fault with the light. The light is shining. That's what John, John uh, the Apostle John is saying here. The light coming into the world shines. It shines in the darkness. Why doesn't everybody see it then? Because some are blinded, right? Some are blind. And even though the light, the light shines brightly, a blind person cannot see it. When someone is saved, what does Jesus do? Illumination. All of a sudden, in fact, we use this illustration a lot uh, to, just to describe salvation. The lights come on, right? All of a sudden you can see because He shines in on you specifically. Now, he was already shining bright, but now he's illuminated you so that you can see. He makes known God and the things of God. And, again, verse 10, uh, I'm sorry, uh, again, 
verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He is the only light. In other words, everyone who receives this illumination, he's, he's the only source. It will be by Him. Just like in the beginning God created light, and then everything was seen by that light which God created. Jesus is the true light, and there's no illumination apart from Him. So, He lights every man, meaning there is no other. Every man that, uh, let, let's just say it this way, every man that has his, uh, his candle lit, <laughs> it'll be lit by Christ. Jesus is the one who lights, there's another way of saying it, Jesus is the one who lights every man that will be lit. It's a way of saying there is no other light. That's why the Apostle John says he is the true light. Now, light also exposes. That is, it, it can reveal things um, that we might, well, bad things. Things that we might not, won't reveal sometimes. I remember years ago, listening to uh, J. Vernon McGee's radio broadcast, and he said that he was, uh, I don't know, he was hunting or something. He was in, in the wilderness, and all of a sudden this bad storm blew in, and uh, he, he came up on a, uh, a cave in the side of a hill, mountain, and took shelter there. Now, he said it got really bad, and, but he got inside the cave and, and was just sitting there, you know, thankful, thankful. Uh, I'm dry, you know, and, and I'm safe, blah, blah, blah. Sitting there enjoying, he said, I was very comfortable. And then got to thinking, you know, it's very dark in here. And so I, I don't remember if he had a matches or a flashlight, whatever it was. Took out a match or whatever and lit it. And just a few feet away, there was a snake coiled up. And the light exposed the danger that... Uh, he didn't see it first, and he he was he was fine while he was sitting in darkness, not realizing that danger was just a few feet away. And the light made that known. The light exposes bad things. That's flip side of the coin. Look over at John three. <clears throat> Even in John uh, one, there. Well, let's just go ahead with John 3. Verse, look at verse 19. John 3, verse 19. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You, you see how here how uh, light and darkness are being contrasted, and they're being used to signify good and evil. Darkness, of course, representing evil. Light representing good. So light came into the world. That is speaking specifically of Christ, the ultimate good. Light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. Now, just on the surface, that's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? Why would you Why would you want to live in darkness? Excuse J. Vernon McGee's illustration. Why would you want to sit in a cave in total darkness with danger around rather than come to the light? Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Because the, the danger, the greatest danger, is within. And, you know, it's not outside of us, like J. Vernon McGee's cave illustration, although that's a great illustration. But the greatest danger is within. It's the sin that lies within, and we happen to be in love with it in our natural state. Light came into the world, but men loved 
darkness. So the, the darkness here that John is speaking of is, is not something outside of us, surrounding us. It's something inside of us. How, how did we define darkness earlier? Absence of light. So in your natural state as a human being, you are void of light. If light represents all that is good, if light represents purity and righteousness, if light represents God, then human beings in their natural state are in darkness. And they love it. They love it so much that they avoid the light. Now, for me personally, um, when I think back to the point before I was saved, uh, this this parallels so well <laughs> with my life. I don't know, I've just got like a, a living illustration of it I can look back on. Because the only time in, in my career um, as a as a bar musician, the only time they turned the lights on was when they wanted to run everybody out. At 2 a.m., I mean, back then, I know they changed it now, but back then the law was you had to close at 2 a.m. So at 2 a.m., the band stops and the lights come on. Now, people, people love the music and, you know, uh, and, you know, of course, the drinking, in which they also shut the bar down at 2 a.m. But the quickest way to get them out of there was not just shut the band down and shut the bar down, although, you know, that played a part. But finally, when it came down to it, get them out of there and turn the lights on. Because the light exposes. And when people are involved in sin, they love Darkness. It's amazing. Now, I know, again, the darkness we're talking about here, that John's talking about here, is a spiritual state. But it's amazing how it parallels our activity a lot of times. People go out and do what they do. Often, if they're doing wrong, they go out and do what they do in darkness. Don't they? Usually. And if they're doing good, then they have no problem with functioning right out in broad daylight. Most of the time when I was, if not all the time, and, uh, and, and don't ask me why this used to happen, I don't know, but uh, most of the time when I was pulled over for some kind of suspicion, <laughs> they used to profile. I don't know if they do that anymore. They say they don't. <laughs> I think they do, but I know they used to. They used to profile. <clears throat> Most of the time when I was pulled over by the police for some kind of suspicion, it was dark. It was dark. It wasn't, I don't ever remember that happening, you know, at noon. But, you know, you, you do things like leave a place of business at 3 o'clock in the morning, a place of business that's not open. Um, you do things like that. In the dark, and the authorities get suspicious. Because they know, a lot of times people who do wrong things do them under the cover of darkness. Now, light exposes wrong deeds. People love sin by nature, and so they stay away from the light. Light has come into the world, and it shines. It shines in the darkness. But men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil, because they were doing evil and they did not want to be exposed. They would rather remain in darkness. But, John says, everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So, light illuminates and light exposes. 
And as we've already said, and I'll just mention this again briefly, uh, it's, it's often used in Scripture to represent, well, I could say it this way, represents glory. But I would, just to kind of describe that, purity, perfection. I love some of the old words, like uh, uh, John, Jonathan Edwards, when he, would, when he would write about the attributes of God, he referred to them as the excellencies of God. That's light. The excellencies of God. His perfections. His perfect holiness. I know that's, all, that's probably saying the same thing twice, but I'm just, I'm just trying, to, trying to help us here. Trying to help me. His perfect holiness. His perfect love. His perfect mercy. His perfect ways. I mean, what God does is right. It's right and it's just. And all of those things are light. And when you view the world through the lenses of God's holiness or God's righteousness, it exposes a lot of things. Oh, I can't go too much into it this morning, but that's one of the things, Lord willing, in this Sunday school class coming up we'll be talking about. The, the discipline, the discipline of reading God's Word, how can I say this? <clears throat> it's, it's not just a good mental exercise. The discipline of reading God's Word, and you could add to that prayer, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of reading God's Word is so that we will begin to see things the way God sees them. And, and in, in doing that, things are brought to light. Bad things are brought to light. So, for example, if I'm, if I have my, if, if I'm viewing my relationship with my wife and my daughter and my sons through the light of God's Word, it's, it's going to bring some things to light, some, some ugliness. You know, in other words, like I haven't been relating properly. And God's light, God's perfections, His excellencies, when put against my conduct, will expose my wrongdoing. And it's not for the purpose of condemnation. It's for the purpose of transformation. So that my mind can be transformed and my thinking become more in line with His thinking. Yeah, that's that's illumination and that's expose. It's what the light does. God's holiness set over against the world, or we could even say, as I just did, set over against our conduct and our thinking. It'll help us come to terms with reality. I mean, I may think I'm a good old boy until I look at that, until I look at myself through the lens of the truth of God. Now, Matthew's point is clear. He's saying, look, God promised this great light. The word great, we've seen this often. It's the word mega. God's promised this great light. And Matthew's saying, the light has now come. God had a word for Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles no less, great, uh, uh, a great prophecy concerning uh, the gospel going to the Gentiles. God had a word for Galilee of the Gentiles that a great light's going to come 
Those who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So for for everybody in that vicinity, the vicinity of death, if, if if you were seated in the shadow of death, if you were immersed in darkness, and we all were, then Matthew saying, a great light has come. And that light is Jesus. Jesus says in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Those two were together, by the way, in John 1 also. In Him was life. And the life was the light. It's good, isn't it? It's because God wrote it. It's inspired by God. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so Jesus says, He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So His light is life. Darkness is death. For those who sat in darkness, a great light, or John says the true light, has come. In John 12, Jesus says this, John 12, 35 and 36. A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. In verse 46, John 12:46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide or remain in darkness. Jesus is the great light. Now, here's here's the exhortation. I mean, this is why Matthew's writing all this. The the idea is this, come to the light. Now, John said Light came into the world. Light came to us, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. And they don't want to be exposed. But those who do good, those who do righteousness, John said, come to the light so that their deeds are made manifest. Come to the light. That's, that's, that's what Matthew is, is saying. Jesus has come to show us God. To make God known to us. To make God... Think about this. To make the invisible God visible. He's come to show us. He's come to bring it to light. To, to expose. In this sense, not, this, not, not a bad thing, a good thing. To make God known to us. And so, he says in verse 17, Matthew 4, 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's, he is shining the light. In His, in his, in his person, listen, the excellencies of God that, that Edward spoke of are emanating from the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus Himself is the full effulgence of His glory. That is, He is emanating, shining brightly as the glory of God. He is the light, the true light, the light of the world. So He says, essentially, come to the light. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's making known the things of God. Making known God and saying, look, Come. 
Don't, don't remain in darkness. If, if you follow me, Jesus says, if you believe on me, Jesus says, you'll have the light of life. Leave the darkness. Come to the light. We're going to see tonight in the next few verses where with a few particular individuals uh, that exact call is given, isn't it? Come, follow me. But there's a sense in which that call is for all of us. That's why Matthew is bringing this out. Here's the light. Follow the light. That's why Jesus came to show us the light. Go to the light. I know they say don't go to the light, you know, because you might you know, you wind up dead. But go to the light. <laughs> uh, Zach sang the lighthouse a while ago, and uh, that song's always been precious to me. Anyway, I just like it. But also, it, I, you know, I guess I can't hear it without thinking about uh, my roots. Um, my uh, my grandmother was born and raised on Chincoteague Island, Virginia, and uh, right across the channel is another island, bigger island called Assateague. And Assateague is is uh, the the barrier island. It's on the ocean, and Chincoteague sits between Assateague and the mainland. And on Assateague, there is a lighthouse. And uh, I always loved going to the lighthouse. I, I love. You know, it's just a lot of memories. In fact, now, you know, with the uh, Internet and all that, um, I, can, I can see it online. In fact, you can go to the audio page of FillmoreBaptist.org and you will see the Assateague Lighthouse. Uh, I put it on there when I first built the page because um, that lighthouse has always had significance for me and because, like that song, lighthouses are often used to represent the light of Christ. The purpose in the lighthouse is right was to illuminate, to show the way. And the ship pilots, if they wanted to get there safely, followed the light. Well, spiritually speaking, Jesus is the light. Or as the song says, Jesus is the lighthouse. If you don't have Him, you sit in darkness. If you have Jesus, that is, if you know Him, if you believe on Him, if you follow Him, we'll talk more about tonight. If you follow Him, then you have the light of life. Would you stand? And we'll close with a word of prayer. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.